Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series this week, The Unseen Hand of God, with a message entitled, Lives Made New. So turning your Bibles to Genesis 42, verses 18 to 38, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I'm not amazed that human beings sin, or for that matter, that they continue to sin for the course of a lifetime. I'm not amazed that human beings take their hatred of God down to their own graves, or that they ignore the only Savior that's available and continue to do so unwavering for as long as they live. See, I'm not amazed that even though we change and grow in so many areas, there is an easy stasis, an unchanging state of continued rebellion against God that just never changes. Many refuse to forgive their enemies. Many refuse to repent of known sins. Many cling unremittingly to sin simply because they will never admit that they were wrong. You know, this carries on until the day we stand before God. I am not amazed at this. It's all a part of the lost and ruined condition of the sons and daughters of Adam. I am, however, profoundly amazed at how merciful God is, how long-suffering, how patient, how overwhelmingly kind he is. Now, this does amaze me, for it is kindness that, in spite of our entrenched and unyielding rebellion, breaks us down and brings us to our knees in genuine repentance. What wondrous love is this? In our study of the life of Joseph, we have now come to the place where, in amazing providence, he has become the prime minister of Egypt. He oversees Egypt in her most profound crisis, that of a seven-year famine. And now the ten brothers, the very ones who sold him into slavery, have come to see him, not knowing that it is Joseph. They only know him as the ruler of Egypt, and they bow before him. And Joseph begins by, how do we say it? By roughing them up quite a bit. He accuses them of being spies and throws them into jail for three days. And after the three days, he will release one to go and fetch their youngest brother when he says he will check out the veracity of their story. In our study of Genesis, that's where we now find ourselves. So let's read Genesis 42, verses 18 to 20. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain to the famine of their households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words may be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. See, I find Joseph to be an amazing man. I mean, if I had been him, I don't know that I would have been quite as gracious. His brothers feel for three days what it felt like for him for 13 years. Now, in those three days, his heart is moved with compassion. He knows their suffering, and during those three days, he decides on a plan. Instead of holding nine of them in prison and letting one go back to get their brother, he will only hold one in prison. And here he tells them why. He says, he fears God. There are in our day men who say they do fear God, and these are the men who blow up people in acts of terrorism. Let me explain to you why we can know for certain that such men do not fear God. The genuine fear of God makes us aware not so much of the sins of others, but so very much of our own sins. An awareness of our own sins when facing the sins of others brings a sense of temperance and mercy towards others. The fear of God says, if God treats my enemies in the way they deserve, well then, he will also treat me in the similar manner. And if it is a matter of human righteousness, who can stand? 
for I will be utterly and completely condemned. I fear God. See, don't you see, the fear of God leads us to seek mercy, and it is the statement that Joseph fears God that gives his brothers a chance to find mercy themselves. Now then, one brother will remain and the rest will receive grain so that, you know, their starving families can live and not die. But Joseph does not give them enough grain to last for seven years. He knows as he loads them up so that no matter how they think about their imprisoned brother, necessity will bring them back into his hands. Verses 21 to 25. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul, and he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. And before we look at this passage, would you go back to verse 20? Joseph has just said, if you bring Benjamin, the youngest one, back, then you shall not die. See, he didn't promise them that the one he kept in prison in Egypt would not die. And that leaves them in a predicament. He wants them to show him whether they will easily sacrifice another brother. And then after receiving the news, immediately the brothers start talking. They immediately come to the conclusion that this has happened to them because God saw them when they had condemned Joseph. They remembered how Joseph had begged for his life, but they had hated him so. Now came the time for God's divine retribution. That's why this was happening. That's how they concluded. Verse 21 tells us that although the brothers heard the accusation, you are spies, they've come to the conclusion that this Egyptian is being used by God to bring justice to them at last. You know, in some sense, these brothers were men of faith. You know, two chapters later, it will be Judah that will say, God has found out our guilt. God has searched it out, and the sovereign God has never forgotten our actions. It is very gracious, you know, if God allows us to experience the consequences of our sin in this world rather than in the one to come. For if we begin to experience the consequences of our sin here, we might yet repent before we enter before the eternal bar of God's justice. You know, whenever I hear of someone who is caught in their sin, I don't think, good, they deserve it. Rather, I deserve it too, for I too have sinned against infinite holiness. Instead, when one is caught in sin here, the shock of it may yet lead that person to repentance. There is grace in being caught. Verse 21 tells us that for those who believe in God, at least in some small sense, the reality of sin's consequences may yet arise. Ah, but all is not yet well. Reuben jumps in and declares his own innocence. I told you, he says, I told you not to harm the boy. And if you had listened to me, this horrible mess wouldn't be happening to all of us today. And I wouldn't be caught up in this along with you. In essence, he's proclaiming his own innocence. And might I say that a discussion could have developed here. They could have said, weren't you the oldest? You know, could you not have, if you had believed this, exercised your leadership back then? But you didn't. But, of course, with those who proclaim that our sin is not as grievous as the sins of others, this, this issue of blaming others is always a response that is so easily come to. How easy it is when it comes to sin that we blame others for their sin. 
but we don't own our own sin. But Joseph, who is listening, finds he has to withdraw. Until this moment, he would not have known whether or not his brothers were distressed with their own sin against him or not. See, he would not have known if they cared a whit about what they had done. He would not have known that Reuben actually argued against killing him. And he wouldn't have known that for the last 20 years, their lives were filled with grief because of their sin. Proverbs 28, verse 13, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Unconfessed sin tends to live with us. And with this knowledge, Joseph withdraws and he weeps. But there's still so much to learn about his brothers. It is, as we will know, one thing to be grieved for our own sin, and it's quite another to renounce our sins and to come to God and ask for a new heart. For the world is filled with people who never stop feeling bad about their sins, but they continue on in their sin. Nothing changes. And so for now, Joseph is standing back. He doesn't reveal who he is. He's simply watching his brothers. He picks out Simeon as the brother who will stay behind. And, you know, the book of Genesis doesn't actually tell us why it is that he picks Simeon, but we do know that Simeon has in the past been an exceptionally cruel man. And with that, Joseph puts the money, the money the brothers have brought to buy grain, back into their bags and he sends them home. So why does he put the money back into the bags? Again, the book of Genesis doesn't tell us, but with a little reflection, I mean, the reason should become obvious. These brothers sold Joseph out for money. And if they come back for Simeon, they'll have to explain the money. You see, simply returning with Benjamin, that's relatively easy. But now, Joseph will see how important money will be to them. Well, of course, when they sold Joseph for slavery, that was a criminal act. It was a crime against God, and it was a crime against their father. Now money is again the issue. It's going to be very complicated from now on in. What will they do? Psalms of the Seasons is our 2020 Back to the Bible Canada scripture calendar. And it reminds us of so many things. It reminds us of the beauty and magnificence of this creation and the beauty of God's Word. A uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Newfeld is placed within the calendar, encouraging each of us to open up our Bibles every day. This is a practice and discipline critical to creating a steadfast foundation for faith. Use your calendar as a reminder to engage in the Bible every day and use the Bible reading plan to read through the Bible in 2020. This resource is filled with encouragement and it's yours for free. Just ask. Simply request your copy today and perhaps consider a gracious gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Either way, call us for your free calendar at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at Back to the Bible. Let's continue reading. Genesis 42, verses 26 to 28. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? You know, this is now the first time in all the narrative of these sons of Jacob 
that even one of them mentions God. I think that to be significant. They're not asking the question that so many of us might be asking today. I mean, given the modern worldview, I mean, you'd expect the brothers to say, how did this happen? Then they would have gone through a list of possibilities. I mean, perhaps the ruler of Egypt is out to destroy us, so he did it. You know, perhaps one of the grain handlers accidentally put our money back in the bag, and so the whole thing got mixed up. I mean, maybe there were even other possibilities. Look, I'm convinced that the brothers did not believe that the money of one of the brothers had just magically appeared because of a miracle. There's no indication they ever thought that. But from their vantage point, God providentially directs all things. Whether money was put in there on purpose or because of an accident, either way, God directs all things. And ultimately, it was God who has put them in such a bind. I mean, thinking this way, that is, seeing the world as the place where God acts in his sovereignty, arranging all things according to his providential purposes, well, that's to some quite frightening. See, from their vantage point, the world looks a great deal more friendly if they think of chance occurrences, good and bad luck, random events, freaky things that just happen. You know, for them to see the hand of God at all times, in all situations, it's just too overwhelming. That would mean that God was everywhere present. That, that would mean that all we do is done directly before his watching eye. That would mean that we have never outwitted him, not once, but that he designs all things, all things for his purposes. Of course, lots of people just never want to think that way. But on that day, that is, the day when one of the brothers opened his bag and found his money in the sack, he doesn't just say, I'm doomed. He says, God has arranged these things. And what if it is the case that God is against us for what we did to Joseph? Are we not then completely doomed? So we continue to read as the plot thickens, verses 29 to 35. When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, They told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. And as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. You know, the brothers have safely come home. They have grain enough to feed the entire family. Indeed, they will not die. There is at this point so much to give thanks for. It's like Thanksgiving in so many of our churches. You know, we see a display of the produce of the land, pumpkins, bread, grains, fruits. We thank God for his kindness in sustaining us. But of course, in their case, the bounty of the land is sidelined because, you know, the shocking series of events that have taken place. They've been accused of spying, which would have been a capital offense. And the reality is they could all have been hanged. I would have you go back to verse 29. They told their father all that occurred. Well, of course, the word all is no doubt in reference to what had happened, not in reference to the revelation that had occurred among them. The brothers now believe that these are divine judgments for their sin against Joseph. But how do they tell their father those things? See, the family secrets will remain. We're only going to deal with the present difficulty and not the horrible secrets that lie in the back of them. 
Remember, after all, at this point, you know, this, this is still a very deeply dysfunctional family. But there's hope. The unseen hand of God has now intervened, and they will not escape until this matter comes to a conclusion. But among the family, I mean, who wants to think about that? It's too harsh. And then things become a thousand times worse. It's not just that one of them has his money returned to him. All of the other eight brothers also find all their money has been returned. They've been to Egypt, and there they've been under suspicion of being foreign spies. And now, to all intents and purposes, they've stolen grain from the land. There, there's every reason in the world to be afraid. Now, one more thing before we move on. Look back, would you, to verse 33? Notice what they tell their father, for, for this part is definitely not the truth. The brothers tell their father, Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Of course, that's, that's not what happened. They didn't make a decision as to which one they would leave in Egypt. I mean, what really happened is that the Lord of the land ordered his guards to seize Simeon in front of them. He was bound, and he now languishes in an Egyptian prison. That's what happened. But as would often happen, the brothers prefer to keep their father in the dark. Now, it seems as though Jacob is suspicious that his sons don't tell him everything. We come to verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Now, the verses never explain. He says to the brothers, It is you who have bereaved me of my children. Not, it is you through your unwise revelations about the nature of our family that has bereaved me of Simeon. No, no, you have bereaved me not of a child, but of children. Does he now include Joseph in all of this? Has Jacob for all these years believed that the brothers haven't told him the whole story about Joseph, or even that they've lied to him? And now when he uses the word to bereave, he means, you have caused my sorrow. You are responsible. Suddenly, we see how deep is the rift in this family. Jacob does not trust these boys. He knows their character, and he believes they would bring grief to him if it suited their purposes. In some sense, the shock of being accused of spying has brought a sober realization to the boys that they're accountable to God, and it's brought them together. But the deep division between them and their father remains. So we go to verse 37. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. It's an interesting statement. If I have the power to grieve you, I'm going to give you the power to grieve me. But of course, it's a silly statement. I mean, under no circumstances would Jacob even dream of putting his grandchildren to death. And more so, how would putting his grandsons to death deal with Jacob's grief? It's just such a silly thing to say. Verse 38, but he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. See, Jacob's mind is made up. He simply ignores Reuben's unwise comment and he comes to the point. I've experienced the death of Joseph and should I now put Benjamin in your hands? You haven't been able to protect Simeon. How much more if I give you Benjamin? See, at this point, we might be tempted to think that nothing but nothing has ever changed in this family. They may have had a shock, but the deeply rebellious and untrusting family of secrets seems to be what it always was. 
But of course, we already know that God has appointed a Savior who will rescue them. And here is the point. If there were no Savior, this family would never have gotten past their own sins. In time, they would simply have relapsed, and the patterns they had established would have followed them to the grave. That's how it is with all of us. God, however, is gracious. He's merciful. He determines to save us from our sins and in so doing to make our lives new. It's always in order to admit our inability to save ourselves and to cry out to God that he might have mercy upon us. And that's just the beginning of this story of Israel. But it's our story as well. See, here's my question to you. Do you think you can save yourself? Do you think your own moral reformation your own decisions, your own commitments that you make, I'm going to change is going to do it for you. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. It won't. In time, you'll simply go back to your former patterns. You can't save yourself. You need a Savior. And the good news, there is a Savior. His name is Jesus, and He can rescue you. John, the further you go in this story, sometimes you have to say to yourself, well, there's a lot of strange and odd things. The story takes a lot of twists and turns. But I'm interested in this statement where it says, God has so arranged things. Like, like is this how God works? Does he arrange things in our lives? Or, or how does all this happen? Well, maybe we need to step back from that question and say that the events that we see unfolding here in our Bible text They were events that literally happened, and they happened exactly this way because God had arranged that it would be that way. And uh, that tells us that uh, God knew that the best way to bring salvation into the world would be for the very events that we're talking about. They happened this way, and eventually it made this family into the people of God and the people of Israel, and eventually that would bring the Messiah into the world. Yeah, God arranged that. So I guess then the next question is, well, it's the one you've asked. It's, well, if God does it then, I mean, is he doing that in our lives today? And I think there is a marvelous, marvelous um, assurance that can come in our lives when we're not so struggling with you know, did all of these things happen by accident, but was there a loving and providential hand behind it? Answer, yes. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue in our study, The Unseen Hand of God, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We're so grateful for all of our listeners right across this beautiful country. And if you'd like to become a part of the team of Back to the Bible Canada, well, this month we'd like to invite you to become a monthly partner or also to participate in our special match campaign this month. So for every dollar you give towards the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, laugh again or in doubt, another dollar will be given up to $50,000, expanding our opportunity to minister God's Word across Canada and beyond. If you've been listening and perhaps you've never taken the opportunity to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada before, you know what? This just might be the perfect time. Join us in our $50,000 match campaign in October or become a monthly partner. Call us today at one 800 663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or donate securely online at backtothebible.ca.
www.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca